Welcome to the history of the band Six Shooter, as remembered by Dave Jackson. Welcome to the history of the band Six Shooter. I'm your host, Dave Jackson from the school of podcasting.com. If you're new to the show, this is best listened to from the first episode to now. And if you're an Apple podcast, you're good to go. If you're not, simply download all the episodes and sort them oldest to newest. We're starting at January 11th, 1997. The Tangled Spur. We came, we played, we kicked their ass. The whole band is pumped to play a bar the size of Graphic Enterprises Service Department, as in small. Mother Nature has blessed us with some snow and a wind chill of at least minus 20. Luckily, we do not have to drag our speakers with us to the gig. Dave gets a little nervous as the extra travel time involved means he will be getting home later and we will need all parties helping to unload the stuff. The band sets up using the small board from the bargain basement. It's very cold. It doesn't take too long and Dave uses a volume pedal to adjust his guitar for lead breaks. It sounds good. Thank goodness we have that equalizer. But man, this stage is very small and confining when we compare it to Cappy's. The band has added only one new song, and it's old, called Good Brown Gravy by Joe Diffie. This was learned for Cappy's benefit, and it's pretty cold in the bar. Musically, it's a pretty good night. After noticeably speeding up the song Texas Tattoo, the band gives Lee a quick sobriety test, who had a shot earlier to get warmed up. With the band focusing on our meter, we do a much better job the rest of the evening. As a unit, we're pretty solid. The band gets another request to learn the electric slide. Ugh. Due to the cold, the crowd is a little thin. However, Jeff and his wife, Anthony and Heather, Chuck, Mike, and Jeff Ball all show up from Graphic Enterprises where Kevin, John, and Dave work. They all seem to think we sound good. The in-between song banner is flowing tonight. We've made a conscious effort to go directly from one song to another. We previously felt compelled to fill in all silence with talking. Tonight, some silence is filled with Dave playing and other items. The audience gets a kick as Kevin explains how Dave is wearing a new shirt designed by country stars Brooks and Dunn. When Kevin invites Dave to do a quick catwalk, Dave takes him up on the offer. Dave struts out across the dance floor as Kevin sings, I'm too sexy for my shirt. We're having fun. The sound system is sounding great. For once, we have more monitor sound than we do from the main speakers. Lee is fired up and is nicknamed The Animal, as every song is finished with a thunderous drum roll. Upon tuning his guitar for the last set, Dave notices that the screw that his guitar strap is attached to is very loose. He wiggles it, and it falls off in his hand. Oh, no! Yikes! This means that Dave's guitar could fall off at any time during the set. He decides to pull a chair on the stage and sit down for the third set. This is very foreign. And while the stage was small, the option of having zero movement is not a pleasant thought. The audience seems understanding of this whole chair situation as they enjoy a tutor, which is a drink special. Kevin jokes that since the whole bar is getting tutors, that this will be one of the smartest crowds we'd ever played to. Dave attempts his Rocky the Squirrel imitation as he chimes, Now here's something you'll really like! (laughs) Only to realize that the smoke and cold are getting to his voice. 
<laughs> what the hell? To finish the set, Dave and Kevin switch guitars so Dave can go mobile for fast as you. Mary, the owner's wife slash bartender, seems a little surprised as Dave came strolling through the back of the bar. Kevin teases Dave to get up on a table and Dave jumps up on two chairs and plays under the glow of a neon sign. The gig was a pleasant surprise. While we're not going to get filthy rich here, it wasn't a bad gig. We got paid $62.50 a piece, better known as 250 bucks. I think it's safe to say we accomplished our mission to kick ass. The door lady stops Dave and says, hey, if Glenn, the bar owner, if he doesn't book you back, I will personally book you here in March for my birthday. I want you guys. She explains how she thinks we're really good. Mary is slightly bummed when she hears we're playing at other bars. I think they were looking for a new house band. We do get a set date for March 15th. John talks with Glenn and John put it, we can basically write our own ticket here. Dave talks with some guy who was heavily involved with rodeos at the Canton Civic Center. The guy also liked us and he wants us to play at a rodeo in the future. While it was a small crowd, it sounds like we got some great exposure. The band finishes unloading at Kevin's at 3.15 in the morning. Now it's time to start focusing on merging Seth into the plan. Kevin did announce that he is more than likely not going to move to Montana. It seemed it's dawned on Kevin and Maria that uh, it's, um, well, far away. January 20th. Maintenance week. Dave has taken some signs and posted them at the Red Dog. He remembers the bar being bigger than it now appears, but he is happy that the band at the Red Dog this weekend is Country Crossroads. Now, if you didn't hear that episode, let's reflect a little bit. The band sees the basic mediocre country band called Country Crossroads. The band was has okay harmonies, but no real look. The bass player weighs about 300 pounds and has that just-got-out-of-prison look. That's from November 18, 1996. Meanwhile, back at the Red Dog, Tammy, the bar owner slash bartender slash waitress slash janitor, says she's looking for a band to shake things up, and Dave smiles. She's come to the right place. Tammy was very impressed with Kevin's vocals earlier in the week when Kevin stopped in for karaoke nights. John has had a good but busy time as he has been financed for a new home this week. This week, the band decides to take the practice time to take a good long look at the sound system. John and Kevin go out Monday night and put a new amplifier on John's charge card. While the ant kick butt in the store, it's weak back in the basement. John tweaks an effect until it simulates a preamp and boom, the sound system is now window rattling loud. Now the dilemma... What do we do with this amp that we don't need? Tuesday, John, Kevin, and Dave work on the wiring of the system. Sorting through the mountains of patch cords, they discover that many of the connections of the old system are, well, old. They're tattered, and they're in need of some repair. And John and Kevin become rewiring experts. John and Dave venture back to the music store where John purchased the amp, John works out a deal with the salesman to swap the amp for a preamp and an effects unit. However, this equipment may not get to the band in time for this weekend's gig at the Red Dog. The phrase, 
I'm not Bernarded becomes the new catchphrase. Just like the previous night, the boys work into the late hours of the evening. On Wednesday, Kevin's project is rewiring the amplifier box. Currently, you must stand on your head to make the connections in this box. Kevin works on some of the patch cords that will make plugging it into this box about, oh, I don't know, 200% easier. And not only does Kevin accomplish this, but he re-engineers the box so that you can still close the lid with the new addition. Meanwhile, over at John's house, Dave and John have gone to the local hardware superstore to try to put together a lighting tree. Dave had gone on his lunch and scouted out the place. A few options are using a pre-made light pole, like you would use like in your front yard, uh, conduit pipe and PCV pipe, you know, that stuff that's used for plumbing. The PCV pipe is really inexpensive and light, yet it's durable. It's comical as John and Dave walk around the place picking up random items. Look, here's a dryer vent. Will that work? Dave asks. What about a stovepipe? That might be better. John answers back aisle after aisle as they patrol. They finally decide on using the plastic plumbing pipe. By using two different sizes, they can make a lighting tree that's adjustable. They use flash pads, which are basically about a quarter each, to mount the lights to the tree. It becomes the ultimate junior high school shop class project. Wing nuts, glue, pop rivets, drilling holes, it has it all. In the end, it took John and Dave longer to pick out the items than it did to put it together. And to their surprise, the new light tree is really cool. It weighs in at four pounds and it costs less than 25 bucks. Again, the boys get to bed in the midnight hours. And I will have a uh, picture of what this lighting stand looked like out in the show notes. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Everything is at historyofsixshooter.com. Pick up your History of Six Shooter t-shirt to support the show.